So, you know, I was reading this week, and I decided that I would read 1 Corinthians. And I didn't get very far because um, I stopped at verse 2. And uh, it says, grace and peace to you from Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I couldn't go farther because I just thought, grace and peace, don't you love it? In all the books, the greeting that the writers give. And so I come to you with that greeting, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I also, uh, this past week, was teaching... um, Doctor's Wives. I have a group every week that we meet together, and I was teaching this week. And we're in 1 Thessalonians, and in 4, um, Paul is commending them about the love that they show. He actually says that they sh- it's revealed to all of Macedonia. And I just thought about you guys, and I thought, We could say that about River of Life. And I commend you for the love that is so evident here. I know I feel it. I know people walking in the door feel it. And we have great love. And I'm so thankful for it. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much. I love the worship today, Lord. Thank you so much. We love you so much. And Lord, we want to just sit at your feet and glean what you have for us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would just take over and that you would be glorified in our midst. And so, Lord, we just give you this time. May my words be your words. Sift through and just make them what you want to impart to your beloved children. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Today, all in. And I want to talk to you, start with a story about a man that I had the privilege of going to see not too long ago with several other people in this congregation. His name is Nick Vojicic. Oh, gosh, that is quite... Vojicic. Thank you. Okay. I have it sounded out here, too, and I still crucified that. This is Nick. He was born with a really rare disease, a genetic disorder, He has no arms or legs, although he has two small feet, and you can see one peeking out there, attached to his torso. Growing up, Nick struggled emotionally and physically to accept his condition. But today, as a follower of Christ, Nick has what he calls a ridiculously good life. Nick writes, when I'm asked how I claim a ridiculously good life when I have no arms or legs... People assume I'm suffering from what I lack. They inspect my body and wonder how I could possibly give my life to God. Who allowed me to be born without these limbs? Others have attempted to soothe me by saying God has all the answers, and then when I'm in heaven, I will find out his intentions. Instead, I choose to live by what the Bible says which is that God is the answer today, yesterday, and always. When people read about my life and witness me living it, they are prone to congratulate me for being victorious over my disabilities. 
I tell them that my victory came in surrender. It comes every day when I acknowledge that I can't do this on my own. So I say to God, I give it to you. Once I yielded, the Lord took my pain and turned it into something good. He gave my life meaning when no one and nothing else could provide it. And if God can take someone like me, someone without arms and legs, and use me as his hands and feet, he can use anybody. He's not about ability. The only thing God needs from you is a willing heart, an abandoned heart. So I think all of us who know Nick and understand the breadth of his touch, not only in the Christian realm, but also in the secular realm, we would say that he's inspiring. And he does indeed reflect a life that is surrendered and abandoned for a cause that is greater than himself. I think that one of the most amazing things about Nick is that he's all in. He told us he's flown, I forget, I, I mean, my husband is a million miler on one of the airlines, but he was almost like 10 million miles. He's all in. He exemplifies a life that is abandoned to God. And despite his disability, God uses him to touch thousands of people every year. When I see someone like Nick, it makes me stop and wonder, am I... Or are we living our lives out of that same place of abandonment? To really look at our own hearts, to evaluate whether we are abandoned to God, I think we have to first have a running definition of what is abandonment. So, dictionary.com. I know, it's a great reference. To leave completely and finally Forsake utterly, desert, give up control, to yield oneself without restraint or moderation, relinquish, forsake. Merriam-Webster says it this way, to give up to the control or influence of another person or agent, to give oneself over unrestrainedly, to give up the intent of never again claiming a right or interest in. I know that many of us have seen the wrong side of abandonment. We've been given an impression through a series of things of what abandonment is. And if you're like me, the thought of it strikes fear in my heart. But as we also know, Everything that has a good original intent that God has, the enemy counterfeits. And we have felt that sense of abandonment. You know, Leif Hetland, Pastor Joe has mentioned a book, The Orphan Spirit by Leif Hetland. I am so thrilled to be able to see him in Florida next week. But he talks about this orphan spirit and how it originates when the enemy was thrown out of heaven, becoming an orphan. And from then on out, he has tried to create in each and every one of us an orphan spirit. And unfortunately, one of those things about being an orphan is you feel abandoned. And it leaves you with wounds. 
and just things, scars that God never intended because he has other thoughts about what abandonment is. And so it's not today, we're not focusing on the negative side of abandonment. We're focusing on God's intention for abandonment in our hearts. So I want to read you what Merriam-Webster says are the synonyms for abandonment. Because I love this. Ease, lightheartedness, naturalness, spontaneity, unconstraint, uninhibitedness, and unrestraint. Anybody want any of those qualities? Would you ever have thought? I looked at those and I was amazed. I thought, that's what I want. So that is the intent that God has for us to abandon our heart. That's the fruit that he wants us to feel. So the positive concept of abandonment, you can't really look it up in the Bible. So I had a little bone to pick with the Lord because, you know, you can't just go to your concordance and look up abandon or abandonment. It does have abandon, but it's not the good type. But what we do see, if we examine the lives of the disciples and many in the Bible, we see this concept of abandonment to God and his purposes. Think with me to Paul, to Peter, to Esther or Abraham, Moses, Silas, and Barnabas. All of these disciples and those that we know from the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, characterize this abandonment to God. Recently, I was at a Dozen Domains conference, and Randy Young, who used to be my pastor, was speaking, and the thing that just targeted my heart was always figure out the why. Listen. See the why, discover the why. So as I was looking at these disciples, I'm thinking, okay, why? Why were they able to abandon themselves and go wherever God took them, do whatever God said to do? You know, if he said, don't go over here, they didn't go. If he said, go over here, they went. If he said, lay your hands on this one, they laid their hands on that one. I'm wondering why. Why was that? Well, one of the reasons why I think it was is it's a commandment. We're told to abandon ourselves. Matthew 10, 37 through 39. Let's read it. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's a command here. Nothing is supposed to be more important to us than following and giving our hearts over to the Lord. Nothing. Our children, our mothers, our fathers, brothers, sisters, our car, nothing, nothing. I think, though, if we look at the Old Testament, oftentimes commandments are not enough. Or I've seen in my life, 
Just because I know something to do doesn't mean I can actually have the courage or be able to do it. So there has to have been something else. And that something else, I think, is what Pastor Joe has been talking about and that we see reflected in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. I believe that these disciples were so rooted and grounded in love and that they were able to comprehend and know what the breadth, the height, the length, the depth of the love of Christ that surpassed knowledge and filled them with the fullness of God. There was something that they knew that propelled them forward, a love so deep that their hearts burned with love back. Romans 5 tells us that love is shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Love was so shed in their hearts that they were motivated by love, a love that they fully comprehended and knew was theirs, and it pushed them out to be able to do great things. Think about David. This lowly little shepherd was the only one in the midst of this huge Israeli army. Men that were trained with the creme de la creme, anybody would think is strong. I mean, I think about our army and our military, and they're buff, you know, they're strong. These guys were strong, and what did they do? They cowered. And here is this shepherd who stood up in the face of a giant and said, I'll do it. He knew the love, I believe, of the God he served. Isaac Watts penned a hymn with these lyrics. Love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. When you comprehend the incomparable love of God, I believe individuals are transformed and are willing to abandon their very selves and do amazing things for the one who loves them so deeply. Love is the foundation, I believe, of an abandoned heart. Unless you know something, you can't fully give yourself to it. So when I was thinking of an abandoned heart, I was thinking, you know, what are the distinguishing things that would reveal to us if we have that abandoned heart or not? Well, I thought of other things. I think you all know what that is. It's a giraffe. Why do we know it's a giraffe? Because it's brown and tan. It has a long neck. It has these funny horns. It has certain kinds of patches. We know what it is because we have clearly identified markings of what it is. How about this? It always reminds me of a fingerprint. Zebras. Do you love that? God is amazing. But they have clear markings, right? We know exactly what that is. Nobody has to tell you. How about this? Notice I chose a man. We can identify that because he has gray hair. Notice I didn't choose a woman because we all dye our hair, mostly. And we have to look young, so you don't know. Ask my husband. He'd tell you how much I have. 
He has wrinkles. He has, you know, glasses on. There are identifying features about him. How about this? Anybody know what this is? A female albino cardinal. Would you have known? No, okay, we don't know her markings, but if you saw a cardinal or a female cardinal, you might have. I just had to throw that in for a twist. When I think about, you know, there's markings, so there has got to be markings of those that are abandoned to God. And when I think of markings, you know, the Lord gave me an acrostic, and I think actually he gave it to me so I would remember because um, he knows I'm over 50. So the acrostic bathes came to me, and I thought, how appropriate Because abandoned hearts are bathed in the love of God. Because love would be the, if I was a techie like my hubby, I would uh, have under there, you know, this ocean of love down there. I'll have to work on that. Um, So let's look at some of the markings of an abandoned heart. Now understand there's a long list. And you all do not want to be here for dinner. So I just chose a few that the Lord gave me, but I encourage you to search your scripture and find others, because there's many. So the first one I want you to look at is, B is for bondservant. I know, don't get nervous in your seat. Many of us don't even have a concept of what bondservant is, but as followers of Christ, we are all called to be bondservants. Let me read you a few scriptures. Romans 6, 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Ephesians 6, 5 through 6. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. 1 Corinthians says in 7.22, For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You know, in our country, we have felt the effects and the aftershocks of the negative face of being a slave and a servant. Again, the counterfeit of the enemy. And we have all faced the repercussions that the enemy has done to us through it, some more than others. But again, there's this positive, original intent used for this word. It's not a negative in God's eyes. It's a positive. And so what does it mean? The word here means one who is subservient to and entirely at the disposal of his master. So at the time of the writings of these words, Jesus and the first century church knew exactly what they meant. So we sitting today in the 21st century have a hard time understanding. We might have some concepts, but the hearers of these words knew exactly what he meant because one-third of the population were servants. Another one-third of the population had been servants. So they all had an understanding of what this phrase meant. In 
Exodus 21, 5 through 6, we get a better understanding of what this means, and I want to apply it to us. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So just picture with me, here is a servant. He was able to be free, but he wanted to remain as a servant. He liked his master. His wife might have been there. His children were there and were servants as well. And he made the voluntary choice to remain a servant. It wasn't something he could then choose not to do. He was forever, permanently a servant under the rule of that master. And so can you picture me, you know, with him putting the ear on the doorpost and the awl going through the ear? A marking. Gives a new meaning to gauges, doesn't it? I'm glad we don't have to do that for the Lord. How does this affect us? Because it does apply to us, and we are called to be bond servants. It should be a marking that is clearly evident in our life. And for many of us, it is. For some, it's not. We were bought with a price. We willingly and voluntarily gave ourselves to Jesus. We chose him. It's a permanent thing. We chose him when we gave our lives to him. According to him, in his heart, it is a permanent thing. Our lives are no longer our own. As a bondservant, we no longer have rights. We no longer are entitled. The times nowadays, well, that's my right. Well, I'm entitled to that. We live in a society that is like that. As Christians with abandoned hearts, We do not have that. We don't have that right. We willingly gave it up. If we serve Jesus like any servant, we are no longer at liberty to do our own will. We do the will of the one we serve. Bottom line, we are here on planet Earth at this time to do his agenda, not our own. We are called to fulfill his purpose, not our own. I love what one blogger said about bondservant. They said it means consistently saying yes to the Father and no to yourself. Servants choose the ways and agendas of who they serve, not just in the big things, but in the little things. I remember going to a store once before they had those corrals for the carts, and I was unloading the cart and putting it in my car, and the Lord said, take the cart back into the store. And so I took the cart back into the store. Well, numerous weeks later, months could have been, I was really tired shopping again. The cart was full, and I'm unloading the cart. I'm exhausted, and I really wanted to leave that cart right there. And I felt the Lord just say, take the cart into the store. 
And I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm so tired. Can I just leave it here? And the conversation stopped. You know when the Lord stops talking, you need to do what he said to do. You should do it anyways and not argue. But from now on, I take the cart to where it belongs. Thankfully, they have corrals now. So if you look at your life, how do you spend the majority of your hours? Doing Christ's agenda or your own agenda? Those that have abandoned hearts focus on what their master wants them to do. Let's take a look at another marking. A, adoration and devotion. There are so many stories in the Bible that highlight this marking of an abandoned heart, but I think there's no better one than the stories of Mary, one of which is in Luke 10, 38 through 42. We all know it, but I'll read it for you. Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose to focus and pour her adoration. She pushed back all the distractions in life and just focused on Jesus and adored him. Another scripture, Matthew 26, 7, talks about Mary again. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Of course, we know there were other disciples that were very aghast that she would do such a thing. But Mary was showing her heart and her love, how much she adored Jesus, how much she was devoted to him. I love what one commentary says about the cost of that oil. This was no simple, ordinary household oil. It was perfumed oil used for solemn acts of devotion. This was possibly the most costly earthly possession that Mary had and she poured it out on him. Those with an abandoned heart are marked, like Mary, with attitudes of adoration and devotion because they have been forgiven much, loved much, and they turn that love back. They adore and are devoted to their king. Another marking, which is very vibrant, in the abandoned heart is that of trust. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You heard it? All your heart. I know that I can't say all my heart. But those with abandoned hearts trust God much with everything that they have. Here's the, the definition of that word trust from the 
the Hebrew. To have confidence, be confident, to be bold, to be secure, be careless. A few months back, when we were just starting our discipleship group, I did a little exercise with our ladies. And it was a very telling exercise. And I would not pinpoint what they did, but it clearly highlighted the fact whether we trusted or not. You know, when you look at the Nestle Plunge, I don't know if any of you have seen that commercial, but it's just like, woo! I almost was going to ask Tim to come up here and just demonstrate to you the trust and what we did. But it was funny. I mean, we laughed because some of us were like, or it was so funny because one, you know, after trying three times, you know, went this way and kept going. I don't have any behind me, but all of a sudden her foot went. (laughs) And it was so funny because, you know, we were laughing and thinking it was a great time. But guess what? If we can't trust others, what does that say about us trusting the Lord? We are supposed to trust him with all of our heart. And yet, we have this inability to trust. I love what the song last week we sang from Oceans. It says, spirits lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be stronger in the presence of my Savior. That should be our prayer. Everyone that has an abandoned heart is moving towards more and more trust. Take us, Lord, where our trust is without borders. An abandoned heart is willing to do anything that the Lord calls them to do because they have confidence and they're secure in the Lord because they know he is trustworthy. He is always, always out for our higher good. Always. Another marking is a heart that is undivided. Hard to live in this world with an undivided heart. But Deuteronomy and Matthew tell us that we are to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, all our soul, and with all our strength. That's a tall order. We are to be totally undivided in our pursuit of the Lord. Those that have undivided hearts have a passion for intimacy and a love above all else for the Lord. So Hebrews 12, I love that one. Fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Always having your eyes looking up to the Lord no matter what situation you find, looking to him. Philippians 3 talks about now, not that I know, but that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. It gives a picture of being so intimately connected with the Lord that we share in everything he does. We love him. And our hearts are for him and undivided. The things of this world grow dim in light of the Lord. The Song of Solomon, and I love this book. It is such a picture of the love of Jesus for his bride. And 
the bride going through stages where she becomes more and more abandoned to love. I love that. Hearts that are undivided also count everything as lost. Philippians 3 says, Paul says here, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's like that everything grows dim. Paul certainly had many things that he could boast about in the earthly realm. And he goes through a list of them in Philippians and tells of all of his qualifications, all of the things that make him who he was. And he says, I count them all as rubbish. I count them all as loss for the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so undivided hearts press towards losing the significance of other things. Christ is their focus, and they pursue him. Another marking, endurance. This is not a word that we like, but the abandoned heart runs with endurance. We are told to not not faint. You know, the word says, don't grow weary in well-doing. We are told to endure. Christ, through John, in Revelation, commended the Philadelphia church for the endurance that they had. And he said, hold on to your crown. Hebrews 12.1 says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, now having lived on this earth over 50 years, and I can look back over the decades of serving the Lord, I am so grateful for his helping me to endure. Recently, my husband and I, several years back, went through one of the worst times of our life, I would say. We experienced the betrayal so deep and so hurtful. And there were times when I could only lay on the bed and listen to worship music. I had no energy to get up. I didn't know who was safe. I didn't know who was my friends in that area. I didn't know anything, and all I could do was cling to Jesus. And we walked through that for a year. We continued to walk through the aftermath of that. But what I didn't see at the time was my endurance would bring me back here. And I would have the opportunity to live near three of my children. I would have the opportunity to live 20 feet from my granddaughter, from one of my granddaughters. A prayer that I prayed decades ago that I would live close to my grandchildren and be involved in their life. I never knew that that hard thing would be the trajectory and the platform to move me back here, to be on staff here and start to fulfill even more the calling for which God has called me. But we were called to endure, and I'm thankful that the Lord helped us to endure that and come back. So the word of God tells us that in this life we will suffer many things. It's a given. We're going to. Get used to it. Understand. Those that preach the prosperity gospel and that things are wonderful when you come to the Lord, 
Well, go talk to Paul. Go talk to those disciples is what I have to say. Because what happened to them? Suffering. Crucified upside down. Killed. Abandoned. If the Lord suffered, we are definitely going to suffer. But those who have an abandoned heart, they will endure with deliberate purpose and face life and courage, with courage and faith no matter what comes their way in life. Whether it's good, whether it's difficult, they will endure. And the last mark that we're going to look at is self-authenticity. And I know, you're looking at me like, what the heck is that, you know? And uh, years ago, for many of you, just, you know, you won't even get this, but um, there was a TV show called That Girl. And uh, Marlo Thomas was the actress. And then she later on started doing other things. And there was an album that she made, and it was called Free to Be Me. And so... Um, we know that the world can have impressions from the Lord. The Holy Spirit is here. And I think she had something there. And I think she has a truth for us to learn from. But I want you to think about something that Rabbi Souza said when he was an old man. He said, in the coming world, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not you get that? Powerful words that highlight an issue that we deal with. In an effort to follow God's word, to deny ourselves as the word says, we've missed something about ourselves. We've missed that God created us and said, it is good. Do you think it was different for Adam? No, we are created in God's image. He created us body, soul, and spirit. He formed us together uniquely. And he called it good. We all have personalities. We have emotions. We have talents. We have giftings that he poured into us. And he says it is good. But we have been listening to something else. And we have not been free to be ourselves. We have not discovered who we really are. God wants us to fully express who he created us to be. He's not asking you to be Moses or Peter. He's not asking you to be Pastor Joe. He's not asking you to be Janice or anybody else. All he's asking is for you to be you, to be your true self. I love what Peter Scarzero said in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And if nobody has read that, I'm in the midst, and it's wonderful. He said, I truly believe the greatest gift we can give the world is our true self living in loving union with God. In fact, how can we affirm other people's unique identities when we don't affirm our own? Can we really love our neighbors? Well, without loving ourselves, we know what this scripture says, but we forget that part. Those with an abandoned heart will be marked by the ability and the passion to be their true self. 
and willingly use their unique identity to serve the Lord they love. So I want you to know the journey to an abandoned heart is not necessarily a once and done. It's not a quick process. I tell you, I've known the Lord for decades, and I am still getting there. I'm more abandoned than I was as a 25-year-old serving the Lord. I'm coming in greater understanding and awareness of that. But there are still things that hold me back. There's still times when the word abandonment creates that fear in my heart. We were just talking about it today in the prayer meeting, about opening ourselves and allowing the Lord in. It breeds fear in us, and we want to run the other way. Sometimes I think, and maybe you would echo my prayer, how, oh God, could my heart ever become abandoned completely to you? Well, I have some ideas, but first, I wanted to show you a couple pictures um, because it just highlights our individuality, and I forgot to show them to you, and they just blew me away. I went and looked at pictures of snowflakes. These are macro photography of snowflakes. There's one. There's another. Here's another. And there's a fourth. Does that blow your mind? A God so big can do that. And we don't even recognize it. Oh, God, help us. Help us, help us. And so when I think of becoming more and more abandoned to him, I think there's a word that we need to use is cultivating. Cultivating an abandoned heart. And so what does that mean? How do we cultivate an abandoned heart? One of the things I see is seeking to know God's love more and more. I don't know about you. But I am not in the place yet where I know the height, the depth, the width, and the length. Because if I did, I think I would be like David. I would be running out there doing amazing things, not to diminish what I'm doing or to diminish anything that we're doing. But I think there's more. I know there's more in my own heart. And so I want to know his love more and more and more. Peter Scarzero says, living and swimming in the river of God's deep love for us in Christ is at the very heart of true spirituality. Soaking in this love enables us to surrender to God's will, especially when it seems so contrary to what we can see, feel, or figure out ourselves. The more we know God's love, the more we will trust him with all of our hearts. Another book that Leif Hetland has written is called Baptism of Love. Pastor Joe has mentioned that one as well, and that has become my prayer for myself, for this congregation, and the church at large, is that we would be baptized afresh with a love so great And it would become not just our head knowledge, but it would become deeper and deeper heart knowledge that we would know that we know that we know the incomparable 
incomprehensible height, depth, width, length of his love for us. Because you know what? We can't give out what we don't have. So another thing that I believe is important in cultivating that abandoned heart is getting God's perspective. We see things through a glass dimly. His ways are definitely not our ways. There's so many things that taint our ability to see clearly and to experience God in spirit and truth and to then our distorted perspective on God's character, his ways and his mission causes us to react or respond differently and prohibits us from abandoning ourselves. Some of those things we may not know. But Romans tells us in 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are to seek to get God's perspective. About eight years ago, we went to Swaziland and took a team to Swaziland to do a trip. And um, I remember going and they were explaining that the Swazis, we were taking uh, working with an organization that usually takes Bibles in for children. And uh, we were told that actually this country, Swaziland, Africa, didn't need Bibles because they were a Christian nation. And Bibles were plentiful. But what we heard was that they sift the Bible through their culture so that they come up with this distorted view of what the Bible is. And I remember thinking and praying, so you don't think I'm horrible, but going, what in the world, you know? Why do they do that? And last summer, we went through David Platt's radical. And any of you who were there know he is radical. And one of the things that was front and center in my face was the amount that our culture and I sift the Bible through our American culture. And so, we've got to get God's perspective. We don't even realize it. But imagine if I had different lenses on, the American culture, all the things that we do. You know, there's Chinese believers. Have you seen them? I mean, they are amazing. They run for God. They are willing to be persecuted They are willing to give it all up for God. There is something that they know that we don't as an American culture because what? Our lenses are askew. We had the privilege of being in a church with a lot of nationalities. One nationality, we we had close friends, were Nigerian. And one thing I learned from them was their faith. They had enormous faith. Because everything they did, they needed to believe for. What do we have to believe for? We often don't have to believe for anything. We just go to the convenience store, get what we need. If our car's broken, we take it to the shop. But there's something about our culture that distorts how we see, and we don't have God's view. What is something else? Our family. We can grow up in families. I don't know about you, but I got 
quite a distorted viewpoint. Those are my husbands. I really can't see now. (laughs) My view on God, on everybody else, was incredibly distorted. What about other things? Life experiences. Does any of you have any life experiences that distorted your view? I wish you all could put all these glasses on because you'd see how skewed our viewpoint is. Here's some more. They really block out the light, the light of Jesus Christ. Our identity, distorted, not how God wants us. God wants to take them off so that we can see him. Thank you, Janice. Take a picture of how ridiculous I look. He wants us to see him clearly, as clearly as we can. But we can't. We need him to take our lenses and give us his lenses. So we have to ask him, and we have to pursue his perspective and be open to asking him, where is my sight skewed? How do I not see you right? If you ask him the questions, I guarantee him, He will answer you. Then, choose life and death. Okay, what do you mean by that? How can we choose life and choose death? We choose to be who God made us to be. We choose to live our lives as ourselves, not as anyone else. We pursue being our true self. Finding self-authenticity and the discovery of who we are as God's precious son and daughter. And we don't look down on ourselves. We pursue who we are, our gifts, our talents, our personalities, what he poured into us. He uniquely wired each and every one of us. But I think there's something the Lord wants to do today. And I think that most of us as followers of Christ desire to abandon our hearts completely as Christ's bondservants who adore him and are devoted to him with undivided hearts that are trusting and passionate to know him, always enduring and giving him all that we are to use for his great purposes. I believe at our core, we want to say, I'm all in. We don't want to just like have one leg in, one arm in. No, we want to say, Lord, we are all in, all in for you. Just like Nick did. And we want to see all that he will do, not because we're proud, but we just want to be his instruments to be used by him to bring a world to him and a kingdom to him. I think we would like to declare with Steve Fry's song, I'm abandoned to the captain of the mighty host of heaven, and I pledge him my allegiance till the earth beholds his kingdom. But maybe we're not all there. I believe he wants us to give our hearts completely, abandonly to him. I believe God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ want to do business with us.
The Lord is here. He wants to minister to us. He wants to take all our fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. He's wooing us to take the next step in abandonment. John, why don't you play that song? Just listen.
you come up and ask him? Feel your heartbeat. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. I melt in your peace. Lord Jesus, we love you. We do pledge you our allegiance. You are the mighty host of heaven. You are the great King of kings and the Lord of lords. We give our hearts to you, Lord. We want to have abandoned hearts. More and more, Lord. Lord, baptize us afresh in your love. Help us to be all you've called us to be. Lord Jesus, we want the markings of a truly abandoned heart who prefers you and not ourselves. The more I find you, we love you. We want to sit at your feet as Mary did. We want to sit against your chest and feel your heartbeat. And we want to be all that you've called us to be. Today, we want to make the declaration that we are all in. May March 6, 2016 be the day that we declare. All in, Lord, this is not just a phrase that the calves use. This is a phrase that we use. We are all in, Lord Jesus. May you take our lives. May you help us. May you take the grave clothes off of us. May you give us new lenses. May you saturate our hearts with your love. And Lord, 
May you make us all that you intended us to be when you created us in our mother's wombs. Be glorified in our lives, Lord Jesus. And may you teach us to continually give our hearts in abandonment to you. We love you and praise you, Jesus. Be glorified, King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like you all to stand to your feet. I felt we needed to sing that song again that Aaron and his team played. And then, when we're done singing, if you do need prayer, feel free to come up. But otherwise, I just dismiss you. And may you go in the blessings of the Lord. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest without you. I fall apart And you're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need